Well, then, you can tell that it's been a minute since I did the podcast because I hit the intro music after it already started playing, and then I hit the stop button instead of uh, lowering the volume like I normally do, so we're off to a great start. Uh, welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. I am Scott, the Sober Heathen. Uh, glad to be back in the chair. It's a new setting if you watched the videos before. Um, work in progress, uh, getting the uh, tapestry behind me. Um, up and looking fancy but I think it looks pretty good I think we did a pretty good job you can tell it's me and you can tell um what we're doing here so today Kim from California has joined us to tell her story thank you so much Kim for being on the podcast um I probably should have mentioned before I hit record I was doing this uh live just in case any listeners have any questions I hope that's okay I can shut it down if you want if you're uncomfortable with that but uh anybody that's listening and wants to ask if Kim's okay with it uh please ask questions as we go along Right on, right on. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Kim. Well, um, my name's Kim, obviously. I'm I'm an alcoholic. I uh I think that I was always an alcoholic. Um but I didn't suffer a lot of consequences um until the end, you know, and uh so consequently, I had I had a pretty decent maintenance alcoholism where I was comfortable. I hung out with people that drank a lot because people that don't drink don't really fit the lifestyle that I lived. And um, and everything was was pretty, you know, I created a lifestyle that fit fit my alcoholism at the level I was at. What I wasn't aware of is that alcoholism is a progressive disease for most of us. And for me, it certainly was. And at a certain point, um, the progression of, of my disease became um, catastrophic, catastrophic. I could no longer go out and have fun because the way I drank wasn't socially acceptable. I didn't want people watching me drink the way I drank. I couldn't, um, I couldn't have people in my life that weren't also alcoholics and the worst kind of alcoholics, because you know, what makes me feel good is if I'm a little better than you. So I surrounded myself with alcoholics that were a little worse than me. Um, that leads to some pretty uncomfortable social situations, some pretty, you know, pardon my language, but fucked up relationships. You know, if you can only bring people in that are sicker than you, things go downhill in a hurry. And um, I finally reached a point where I had, I gave up my job. I gave up my marriage. My kids were adult. And had never seen me sober. And I was at home drinking alone and doing the thing I never thought I'd do, getting up in the morning shaking and sick. And I would stand over the sink and vomit and pour shots in myself and vomit until I could keep one down. And then I would drink till I was unconscious. And, um, It was, um, it was not living, you know, it was a slow, pathetic death. It was a weak fucking suicide is what it was. And, um, every day, well, every probably third day I would drive uptown to the liquor store and I would go buy like four or five bottles of tequila and a cantaloupe or a roll of toilet paper, you know, whatever, that I really went there for, you know, and this tequila was just on sale or, you know, whatever, um, whatever I needed to do to make myself feel less humiliated by the fact that I was buying, you know, three, four, five bottles of tequila at a time. But on my way there and back, I had to drive past the little Alcoholics Anonymous building in my town. I live in a really small town in Northern California, and um, I know who the drunks are. They know who I am. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they knew what I was already. And I got this little habit 
where I would park across the street and watch them stand outside and smoke. And then they would all go in and then I would go to the liquor store and I would go home. And um, one day I was in the liquor store after my little routine and one of them came in and got in line behind me. So here I am with three bottles of tequila and a pack of cigarettes and this lady from AA is in line right behind me. And I'm just like, you know, there's a lot of humiliation there, a lot of shame there. And uh, so we do that small town talk thing. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? And she asked me what I'm doing. I say, I'm getting cigarettes. Like she can't see the three bottles in my hand. And I say, what are you doing? And she says, I'm going to a meeting. Do you want to come? And I don't know what happened, but I said, yes. Awesome. And, uh, and I was at that stage where if I didn't get home and get a drink in me, I was going to start being sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I followed her to the little hall and I walked in that little room and, um, you know, if any of you all have ever been to an AA meeting, they're disturbingly fucking happy to see you. <laughs> right. You know, all these people run up, start shaking my hand, and welcome. And I'm like, these people are weird. And now I'm really regretting that that I made this decision to go come in here. And sure. um, and there's no way of backing out because now I'm the center of attention. Um so I sit there and I tell myself, all right, I'll, I'll do this for 15 minutes and then I'll, you know, I'll make an excuse, which is how I've got through every holiday for the last five years. I'd show up at Christmas and then be like, oh, I got to go feed my fish. I'd show up at Mother's Day and be like, oh, I forgot, you know, I left the stove on, you know, because I couldn't be out in the world. And um, so I told myself, I'll do this for 15 minutes and then I'm getting out of here. And the 15 minutes went by and I thought, okay, I could do 15 minutes more. I'll do 15 minutes more and then I'm out of here. And I, I did that hour like that. And, uh, and I drove home and I took those three bottles and I put them in my laundry room. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to wait 15 minutes before I have a drink. And I did that. And I was I was getting pretty sick and I thought it's okay. If I still feel this bad in 15 minutes, I'll have a drink. And I did that all the fucking night. Wow. And, uh, and I got really sick and I didn't know at the time that you could die from not drinking. Um, I had a little seizure. I shouldn't laugh. I don't, it's not, it's not fun. It's not funny unless you've been there. Um, I get it. (laughs) But I did 15 minutes at a time until the next meeting. And, um, and I put on lipstick like that made a difference. And I drug my ass back in there. And um, by then I was really bad off. I hadn't slept. My eyes felt like raisins in a desert. I was starting to see little things around the edge of my vision. Um, but I sat through another meeting and I listened to those people talk and, and I thought these people don't even drink. Like, why are they quitting? You know, they were telling their story and, and I was still at the point where what I saw was differences. And I felt like, you know, there are a lot of women that show up at AA and I'm not disparaging anybody at all. If you come to the table and you quit drinking, cause you drink a half a bottle of wine at night, I thoroughly applaud you getting there before you reach a worse stage of your life. Um, But it was hard to listen to people that were quitting on what sounded to me like they were still having fun, whereas I was not having fun. And, um, you know, at that point in my life, I knew that, that I had to I was going to quit drinking or I was going to die. And I didn't really care which one of those two things happened. Now I wasn't looking to die, but I wasn't fucking looking to quit drinking either. 
You know, I just knew it was going to go one of two ways. And um, so I kept doing that. My life is a, is a, a gift of grace in 15 fucking minutes. You know, 15 minutes. I made it through the first 60 days, 15 minutes. I would tell myself, you know, uh, over and over again. Have you ever seen the movie um, The Princess Bride? I think it was called. There was this dude. Every night, this guy tells him, good night, Wesley. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. And that was me. Every day, I'd be like, okay, tomorrow I can go back. Tomorrow, I'll just go back to my, my drinking. I'll go back. And I'll drink again because um, I knew I couldn't really quit. I mean, I'd done all the things before to quit and I had never quit. So I knew, like, I know the sun's going to come up that I was going to drink again. And, um, and I didn't want to sponsor and I didn't want to do any steps and I didn't fall into the, the, the category where I was going to be um, saved by God, you know, yay, yay. If that works for you, do it, do it by all means. I don't care what keeps you alive. Um, But I knew that none of that was going to work for me. But, um, but this kind um, woman, she's kind of butch, kind of rough. Finally, on on uh, around day 60, 65, she was like, have you got a sponsor yet? And I said, no. And she said, great, I'm your sponsor. And I was like, is that how that works? Like, you know, wasn't I supposed to? And um, luckily, she was kind of a, a lot like me. She put vitamin C in vodka to be healthy. So we rolled pretty tight together. And she didn't mind that I was um, not hip to to a lot of the concepts that seemed really important. And uh, and she told me, she said, the one thing that's really important is that you don't drink. She said, we're going to do these steps and you're going to do them to the best of your ability and you're going to do them because you're willing. And if you get better, great. What's the worst that happens? You go back to your old life. And I still tell myself that sometimes I can have my old life back anytime. The great thing that I got from AA was for the first time in about 15 years, I have a choice. You know, I can choose to drink anytime I want. I can get up and choose to to take my old life back anytime I want. Um, I didn't have a choice. I drank because I had to. I gave up relationships because I had to, you know, I was incarcerated. I was, you know, so many, so many things happened to me that I didn't have a choice around when I was an alcoholic. And that's not to say I'm not an alcoholic now. I'm not going to get into that whole recovered recovery thing. That's another uh, bullshit pull you apart game. Yep. I don't, I don't dwell on whether there's a God. I don't care why I'm a drunk. Like, I don't know if it was good parents, bad parents, you know, good friends, bad friends. I've seen alcoholics from all walk of life. I think that it's like um, skin cancer. You get the gene. Okay, cool. But then after that, it's exposure. And uh, sure, I had the gene, but I chose that level of exposure. And, uh, you know, I sucked up all the radiation of all the alcohol I could. And, hey, guess what? I got the melanoma. So, you know, it. Um, I don't get married to things I can't figure out anymore. And I don't have expectations. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. I still suffer with a lot of expectations. But I've learned to recognize when I'm doing that. And um, because early on sobriety, I knew that I could only be happy if I 
you know, regained my children's respect, if I could take care of my legal problems, if I could solve my financial problems and get back into the field of work that I wanted. I had a lot of conditions that I needed to be sober. And what's funny is I don't have any of those things that I thought I had to have. Well, that's not true. My children love and respect me. But that came in their time, not in mine. Um, But the life that I thought I needed to be sober and to stay sober, I was completely wrong about. And, you know, for what I have and for what I don't have, I'm sincerely grateful now. You know, and uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge fan of there there are things in AA that that still rub me the wrong way sure. um because it because it's run by people there are people in in small groups and small towns and I'm sure in big groups and big towns that um irritate me but the reality is uh, that I did I did the thing you know, I did the 12 steps. I built relationships with other sober people. I created a life where I do include some spirituality, my kind of spirituality, which is definitely kind of the hippy dippy variety. Oh, yeah. because I'm in Northern California and that's how we roll. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm sober today. And if you had met me before, you would understand what an unusual thing that is. And so I continue to do the things, you know, I go to sobriety events. I work with other alcoholics. I, um, I still do. uh, I have an evening practice and a morning practice of, of meditation and prayer. And to me, those things are probably a lot different than they are to other people but I don't know what part of what I did gave me the opportunity to live because I wasn't a person initially who earned it. And I knew I wasn't a person who deserved it, you know, and I've learned since then that sobriety isn't for people who want it. And it's not for people who deserve it. It's for people that fucking do it, you know? And I don't know what it was that I did that gave it to me. So I keep doing, you know, because when I drank, you keep doing what you do and you keep getting what you're getting. And I'm sober now. So I keep doing what I'm doing so that I'll keep getting what I'm getting. My dad used to say he was old school. He was a very old person when I was born that you dance with the one that brought you. So while I, you know, I, I dabble in a lot of Buddhist recovery, I have done a lot of therapy, but I still go to the dance with AA because that's who brought me the gift initially, you know, and at this point in my life, um, it's it's all about where I'm taking it now. You know, I just joined up, um, got my volunteer paperwork done for hospitals and institutions so that I'll be going into California Youth Authority, taking meetings to um, to people like me, perhaps before they have to do all of the humiliating things and into the California state prisons um, for women like me, you know, that to give them a chance to see where things could be different when they get out, you know, cause, uh, cause it's rough. You know, I know it's rough. It's rough when you've been incarcerated, it's rough coming out and rejoining the world. You know, so I do a lot of um, sobriety oriented stuff 
and not to look good, not because I feel like it makes, you know, people think I'm cool, but because I do owe something and I can't, you know, the life I have is an unrepayable debt. It's an unrepayable debt. But, um, and it's funny, you know, I just, I'm, I'm in, I'm in my early fifties. And so I don't, um, and like I said, I live in a small town. And so I was branching out, trying to find new ways to bring recovery into my life. The stories of people that I don't know, because if you go to the same meeting in a small town, you start to like, I could tell you the story of everybody at my meeting verbatim. And, um, so I got onto the internet and I was looking around and I found you on Twitter. And then I started listening to your podcast. And so I went back to the beginning and, um, and I absolutely fell in love with it because the early recovery, listening to you go through everything, you know, sometimes it gets easy to forget what I am and where I come from, you know, after you get a few years under your belt and I'm only five, I don't have a lot of time, but there's that little voice in my head that comes back every once in a while that says, Hey, you know what? You've been well for a long time. You could probably have a beer, you know, people, there are people that know me in my job now that don't know me that, that don't understand what I was before that never saw any of that. And, um, and they go out and have a cocktail together. And so there's that lying part of myself, you know, and trying to drink, trying to go back into an earlier stage of my alcoholism almost killed me over and over because I kept thinking that I could just drink at weddings or I could just drink on vacation or I could, you know, and that (laughs) never worked out for me. But when I went back and listened to all your old podcasts, it was, uh, it was like a walk through through the early years of sobriety where there's all of the all of who I am um I hear it in in every alcoholic I hear a little bit of me in every alcoholic and I have a a love and an empathy for drunks that I don't have for regular people yeah. you know because nobody knows the way we've lived the the way we do you know and so uh so through finding you on twitter and then finding your podcast i found a whole kingdom like a wealth of people i don't know telling my story all over from the beginning and i feel like i just jumped in and it's been the best gift for me at this stage in my sobriety to be able to, to be back with newcomers, to be back with the people, because that's where, that's where it lives. That's where you're getting the gift. That's where it's hitting the hardest yep. is in those early days. There is nobody I'd rather talk to than somebody in this inside their first year, the first 20 days, the first 30 days. Yeah. That's where it's hitting. That's where the fucking wisdom is just dropping on you every day. Yep. You know, at this point, I don't get a lot of new revelations in, in my life. I mean, I learn shit. I learn it the hard way, but I don't, it, it doesn't come to me the way that it did in early sobriety and watching people wake up and find themselves and find their lives and regain all that. It, it lets me remember what I am and that's, what's going to save my life in the end. Cause as soon as I forget, as soon as I forget, you know, in the beginning of AA, I don't know if it's in all meetings, but a lot that I've been to, they read the, you know, these openings, but there are some truths in there. Um, we get worse, never better. Followed always by a still worse relapse. Um, I've seen it. I've lived it. And the only way I know to fight it off is by putting myself in the company of people that are in the deep end of the fight. And that's people that are younger than me in sobriety. That's, that's where the, that's where 
that's where the fucking magic is, pardon my language, but that's ah, where it is. And so anyway, I've just been, uh, I've been really enjoying it. You know, I live 45 minutes from everything. When you live in a little town, like if I want to go to Costco, it's an hour and a half north. And so I listen to podcasts now all the way there, all the way back and through your podcast. I have found the podcasts of some other people that I'm really enjoying. And so um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for bringing a freshness and a vitality to my sobriety that might keep me alive another five years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for all that. I mean, you know, um that was awesome by the way i mean seriously like uh so many things you said uh just in the beginning the 15 minutes at a time you know what i mean and did anybody in aa tell you to do that or was that something that you just did on your own nobody told me that they told me go to meetings and don't drink in between you know and for me that not drinking to the next meeting we only have one meeting a day here at 7 p.m. And I couldn't make it from the minute I woke up. Yeah. You know, you hear in recovery, people talk about triggers. And, and I've always been like, what, what triggered me was breathing. If I woke up, I needed a goddamn drink. Consciousness. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so I couldn't make it from 7 to 7 And so I just kept telling myself 15 minutes, I'll just, and if if it's this bad in 15 minutes, I'll get a drink, I'll get a drink. And then, uh, and it's funny because I, that is oddly, it's, it's like a little mantra for me now. I can do anything for 15 minutes, right? I can do anything for 15 minutes when things are really bad. Um, I had a couple of health issues in sobriety, um, two, I, I come from a large family. Two of my sisters got breast cancer and I had to take them down to UCSF, do the whole surgery treatment. One of my sisters got an aneurysm and had to have emergency brain surgery. Just, it's been some crazy shit, but, but I stayed sober. And for me, sometimes it's still 15 minutes. I can do this for 15 minutes when I'm at my job and some idiot is making me want to give them a real thick dose of the truth. I tell myself, you know what, you can sit here and smile for 15 more minutes. It doesn't matter. And um, so, I mean, I wish somebody had given that to me, but, but at the time it was all I could imagine because I knew I wasn't going to make it an hour. I wasn't going to make it a day. And I certainly wasn't going to stop drinking forever sure which seems you know i mean who terrifying who does does that (laughs) yeah it's terrifying so you know 15 minutes it worked for me it worked for me yeah i I think i just think it's important to to point out to anybody that listens in in early sobriety that you know the strength you you do have the strength within you just have to find that thing that works for you and you did that on your own and you did it in the meeting it started just by walking in the doors you know and it, it, it and yeah i i i'm just like you AA got the ball rolling and now I've evolved from that. I have no use for the old timers that come from a place of authority and superiority. I have no use for those guys whatsoever. I get it. You've been sober for 36 years, but it's not, that's what turns a lot of people away. When you come at them like, well, you, you have to do it my way or you ain't gonna make it. You gotta do it exactly what the book says. Well, it's like, dude, I don't even think you've read the book because a lot of times you're coming at it with so much ego that you clearly missed uh, that word in the book several times. Uh, so right. I, I just think it's really great that that 15 minutes, I, I think that was really great. You know, I, I relate so much uh, to everything you said. You know, I'd go in and buy four bottles myself and I'd say, yep, I'm meeting my three buddies. <laughs> you know, and these people, they knew, they knew. I mean, you're not in there drinking with your buddies every single day, buying a bottle every single freaking day, you know, for your buddies. It's, but we're convinced, you know, I would do the same thing. I, I'm, uh, I, I get to throw a hat on, you know what I mean? I put on a nice shirt. Eh, yeah, I'm buying all these bottles, going to golf and going to hit the links today. 
you know what I mean? And, and, and I remember the puking, I remember the, the choking down the drink and, 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 and throwing it up and, and trying not to throw it up and swallowing the puke. I mean, the effort to, to maintain that drink was, was tremendous and it takes, you know, an equal and opposite effort to, to beat it. Um, for me now, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing some, uh, I don't have two years yet, so I can't do the recovery coach thing. So I got hired in as an associate. So I watch people drop, do their drops for Dreadport. That's a healthy reminder that I never want to have to go back to that. And then, right. um, you know, starting this week and, and so on, people that are getting in trouble for the first or second time are going to come in and sit down and talk to me. And holy crap, am I blessed to have that reminder every single day? You know what I mean? Like, man. Um, gosh, just, just great stuff. You know what I mean? And, and I, I, you know, he always, he apologized a couple of times for dropping the F bomb, but fuck that, you know, I mean, that's authentic. That's what gets, that's let people know that you're a real person and you're just not regurgitating some crap that they hear every single day. I think that's how people get hooked on that. So I'm, I'm really glad that you found the, found me on Twitter. And I'm really glad that that led you finding other people because there are awesome people on Twitter, this community. I mean, you know, you'll get, you'll get outside things trying to weasel its way in, in your feed through the algorithm or whatever. But if you can stay in that recovery uh, community on Twitter, it, it is, it is amazing. Yeah. It's been a real gift to, um, you know, and I don't get me wrong. I love, I, I love my friends in my town and, and, and I enjoy the company. And like I said, I still do a lot of, a lot of sobriety events. I t- travel a lot. And that's another thing is that, um, is that I didn't realize that, um, that I had given up all of that, you know, yeah. that in, in sobriety, like my last vacation before I quit drinking, I was in the Caribbean and I look at the pictures from that trip and I was so miserable. Um, if, hate in life in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And um, now I go places and I remember it, I, you know, and I'm not trying to figure out how to get back home get back to the bottle. Like it's not, um, you know, we go out on the lake. We spend all day out on the lake. Now we take, I take people, I travel to a lot of different sobriety related events here in Northern California. We go up North to Crescent city and do there's a sobriety by the sea. We go East. I went to some little rinky dink, out over on I-5 sobriety in the Siskiyous. It was this cool, it was a whole town of tweakers with this um, like really cogent, really together little group of sober people. And, um, and so I get the opportunity to go around and meet new people within the program, you know, out in real life. And there are, there are those older people that are like, oh, you know, you, you're not doing it right. You haven't found God yet. You still don't, you know, Oh, cool. 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 I, you know, I, I understand that that's the way they feel and they can do that. You know, they're welcome to it. But, um, in reality, I don't let anybody step on me in a meeting anymore. You know, I used to let people with a lot of time really hurt my feelings when, uh, when they didn't like the way we, we do our program, but the fact is I'm still sober. So I don't really give a shit what they think, you know, and that's one of the things you hear a lot in AA, what you think of me is none of my business. Well, it's true. And they forget that, you know, people forget that your opinion of my program is just your opinion. Yeah. And I don't really, I, I don't, I don't need it. And I don't, I don't take it to heart anymore. There are bitchy people in every walk of life. And, and there are people that suck in AA. There are people that suck it in, um, in my job. There are people that suck in my building. I don't have to listen to them just because they go to a club that I go to sometimes, you know, and they can, they can think all they want about how I'm going to end up. 
that's cool. That's cool. You know, you, yeah. you roll with that, bro. I, yeah. I'm, I'm cool where I'm at. You be cool where you're at. And luckily I was able to put together it, it because I do live in kind of a hippie community. The people here, there are a lot of really open-minded people. And now there are a couple meetings out in, out in the hills around town that are, um, that are intentionally agnostic, that are for heathens, sure. you know, for, for those of us who, who didn't, who didn't fit a specific category, you know? And, uh, and I think that that level of tolerance is, is in the book. And if you choose to ignore that, well, then, you know, and they need my opinion about as much as I need theirs. So we're cool. Yeah, and uh, the book says, you know, we're a group of people that normally wouldn't mix. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. You're, you're, you're that, that connection, that common bond. You know, I, I really appreciate and I really love your acceptance. You know, I love what you said about, um, and I didn't have a, my notepad in front of me this time, so you can tell I'm rusty, but that's why I'm remembering things as you go. But your acceptance, I, I really love how you said, you know, you, you didn't really get to the bottom of the why or, you know, why this happened or why this happened and you've just accepted it happened and you've accepted that it got you to this point and now you're here and it really doesn't matter anymore because you're here now right and i i really needed to hear that today um the acceptance you know because there's a lot of times you know people are like you know you got to go talk to somebody you got to go talk to somebody you know maybe you have a problem with your dad maybe you have a problem with your mom maybe you have a problem with this maybe you have a problem with that maybe the answer is just to say you know what it happened because it happened and and now i'm i'm better i'm better for it you know I, oh i'm better today you know what i mean and so um yeah i, I really needed to hear you say talk about that acceptance and i i'm glad that there's there's uh your the community that you're in are more open to this you know um, i've i've come to the uh, point of just accepting you know who i am uh and i kind of it might be a little ego here, but when I get into a meeting or I get around people that, look, for instance, at work, you know, uh, people come in and they're they're doing the drug test and they're like, yeah, this guy, you know, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, uh, you don't, maybe, maybe this, you know what I mean? Uh, this guy's got like three OWIs. So I'm like, yeah, I got four. Right. Uh, oh, you know what I mean? It, it, I, I like to throw it out there, you know, when I go to meetings and I can tell that people are kind of on the churchy side, I, I love saying, yeah, I'm a heathen. I'm a heathen. I, you know, I, I upgraded the heathen from atheist. So you should be happy. You know, right. at least I believe in, you know, I believe in something. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, yeah. Jared says, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Steen says, amen. I think they're both agreeing with the acceptance part. If I'm wrong, fellas, be a little more descriptive in your comments, but I, I think they're agreeing with the acceptance part and, and uh, just uh, being happy to be where you're at. So um, right. awesome, man. I, I really needed this, Kim. This was, uh, this was the perfect one. Your story was great. I love how you're just, you know, uh, you're very forthcoming with things. And uh, this is this is really good. Uh, for anybody that's listening, Steen says I was right. I guessed right on that one. So good. your your acceptance, uh, your acceptance is, was was a huge benefit to three people today. So um, see, this is why we need. And, and you know, to, to, to comment again on, on you're talking about like the AA meetings. Yeah, it's great to have the people that you're familiar with. Um, you know, I never liked. The, and I kind of kind of realized this as you were talking, you know, they always like, you got to find your home group. You got to find your home. I, I disagree. I need, I need, yeah, I need to visit other, get other opinions, you know, get other wisdom. I think that's what you said. Uh, wisdom, you know, the, you're right. learning from those new stories and those new faces. I, I, I need, I need all the wisdom I can fucking get because, you know, intelligence, you be able to think things through. That did me no good. I need the wisdom to remember everything that had happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why it's critical to stay in with people that, that are, that are newer. I mean, for me, I feel like, um, that's, that's what keeps it fresh in my mind because it's easy to get a little cocky and a little yeah. soft and feel like you're all good. And, um, listening to the stories of newcomers that are fresh in the fight that are really in the deep end you know, keeps, keeps it straight in my head what I am. Yeah. And I, 
I, uh, you know, I have family. I have a solid group of friends around me. Um, I've got a great support network, all that crap. But, but what I need is the newcomers. That's where I find myself refreshed. You know, when people talk about, uh, the, you know, good orderly direction, good group of drunks, all of those things. For me, it's really grow or die. That's well, my G-O-D. Yeah. I have to grow. And in order to grow, I have to be exposed to something new. I don't get growth out of the same shit every day. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can, I could say stay solid, but I'm going to stagnate. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to reach a state of, of like, you know, stasis where I'm not getting any better. And the type of person I am, there has to be, there has to be a certain level of excitement for what I'm doing. There has to be a feeling of freshness. You know, a lot of what I liked about early, um, early alcoholism was that living on the edge. I liked that edge of fear. I liked that. Um, I, I did. I liked the drama. I mean, um, and so for me, to do the same old thing with the same old people all day, every day, is just not going to be an acceptable sobriety. Yep. You know, I need personal growth. I need emotional growth. I need new experiences. I do still need some fire. Yep. You know, there has to be something that lights my life up. And, um, and I find that in a lot of different places. But in the program in, in, in sobriety, where I find the real fire is in the new, is in the newcomer. That's, that's, they're burning hot, you know, they're burning hot. And, uh, and I, and I love that. That's what, that's what keeps me, you know, keeps me humble. They talk a lot about humility in the program. And I didn't really understand that at the time. But um, but that's what what keeps me humble, what keeps me reminded of what I really am, of what I'll really be if I forget, you know, sure. and because uh, I'm not that far away, you know, I'm not that far away from from listening to it. My alcoholism sounds like Barry White and it's a very sexy thing. And it wants me to come back and it tells me that it's going to be different. And, uh, but it's always the voice of a newcomer that saves my life always. Yeah. And, uh, you, you'd said congratulations on, on at the five year mark, by the way, you know, um, you said something too about not forgetting, you know, I went from, I can't wait to get to 30 days. I cannot wait to get to 90 days. I cannot wait right. to get to six months. And then, you know, and the, there's a little bit uh, there of like that year. Yay. But when people start talking like 30 years or 12 years, you know, double digit years, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm like, you know, how, how am I going to remember what this was like that far away? Well, you just said it. the newcomers stay, staying around people, but fresh into it, 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 it's a terrifying number. Like, you know, the farther I get away, it's like, I, f- I feel like I have to keep doing this podcast to keep hearing the stories. And, and I'm, and I'm totally thankful for my job where it's going to keep me right in the thick of it uh, to see it every single day. You know what I mean? Because I'm forgetful and right. it's not, not just because I was blackout drunk. I'm for- intentionally forgetful because I don't want to remember the stupid shit I did before. Cause I want to feel better now. And the, the way I thought that was, was, those four little bottles every single day started. Right. Right. I think that with alcoholism and I know you're a dude, so you won't identify about this, but if there are any chicks listening that alcoholism for me is the only other thing that's like childbirth. Like it's the only thing that I can forget the absolute agony Mm. that somehow how fucking horribly this is going to end just slips out of my mind and I started thinking babies are cute right you know, babies are cute I wouldn't mind another baby and then you know so you get pregnant and then somewhere towards the end of those 30 whatever weeks 
you have that flash where you're like, wait a minute, this thing gets out one way. (laughs) This is going to come to a very uncomfortable end. And that was me with drinking. Like I kept forgetting what would, and I would think, oh, you know, having a cocktail would be nice. I'm going to drink a Mike's hard lemonade and play badminton. And I would forget the fucking bloody uh, handcuffs, um, the, the, the way that it's the only way it's going to end. And that's the only, those are the only two things where I have like that blind spot that just pops up where all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be good. And somehow my brain just pushes off to the side that there's only one way it ends. And I don't like that part. I don't like it, but I'm able to forget it long enough to do it again. You know, too bad. There's no fucking menopause for alcoholism, but (laughs) you just don't, you know, you don't get blessed with that. But the ability to forget how, how rancid that, that ending is, is alleviated for me by newcomers by watching somebody sitting in the meeting shaking, but you know, by watching somebody who can't get that fucking cup of coffee to their mouth by listening to somebody cry because they don't think their wife is ever coming back. You know, um, that is, is the stark reminder that, um, that I cannot, have a glass of wine at this wedding, you know, because, because that's how it's going to turn out every time. If, if it gets to that, I, you know, I had a spectacular relapse two years into my sobriety. Um, I got real cocky, got real comfortable. And um, that's, so I would be seven, but consequently I'm five. Um, and I decided, I, well, I don't even know if I could say I decided I was driving home. I was driving past the liquor store. I stopped and I bought a bottle and between the liquor store and my house, which are less than a block apart, I drank half that bottle in the car. Yeah. I woke up in the ICU um, because at some point, apparent, and I don't remember any of this. At some point, apparently, I said, I've got to stop. And I stopped, which led to uh, uh, alcoholic withdrawal cardio event where I went into AFib and I had to get flown out of here. Uh, apparently, it was really exciting, but I don't remember any of that. But I do remember waking up in this hospital and... Um, couldn't figure out why or how I got there and the doctor coming in with all these little baby doctors and she says Miss Peterson do you know why you're here and I said well yeah I drank and she said well how much did you drink I said all of it (laughs) and she was like "All, all of what a bottle I said I don't know I said I drank until I couldn't I I drank she said, well, how many days were you drinking? I'm like, I don't know. All of them. I drank all of it for all of them because yeah. that's how I drink. And, um, and that was my last little dance with the devil. That was when I figured out that I had to not believe that, that, you know, that I'm so well that I can have a drink ever again. You know, there is not going to be a point for me where I'm well enough to have a cocktail because, uh, because that's how it ends. But, um, and then time quit mattering to me, you know, I didn't know my, my new sobriety birthday for the first two years of this five, because I didn't give a shit anymore. Those first few chips were so important to me. I would get my 30 day chip and I was like, yeah, but on round two, this round, I didn't want another chip that I'd already had. I didn't take a chip for the first two years. I didn't take a chip till the third year. And, um, and I only knew my sobriety date because it was on my hospital paperwork. And I just, I'm not even sure which of those days would count, you know, when was I dry? 
when did I quit? Um, th- so I've kind of got a random day in the middle of that, that I take a coin. Um, but I don't care about my time the way I used to. The only thing that really matters to me is that I don't drink today. You know, that's a win. Whether I get to be six, um, who, who fucking knows? I could get wrapped up in and worrying about that, but I don't. Because when it came right down to it, that time didn't buy me anything. The fact that I'd been sober two years didn't stop me on the day that I drank. Right you know, that guy that's been sober 36 years, the day he's too fucking solid in his head and he stops at the liquor store, that 36 years isn't going to buy him a minute. You know, what keeps me sober today is you. I'm doing something for my sobriety today by talking to you. And I'll do something else for my sobriety tomorrow. And that'll buy me another 15 fucking minutes. Hell yeah. You know, so I appreciate you buying me these 15 minutes. Well, I appreciate you doing the same for me. And I don't think. I don't think there's a better way to end than what you just said, because those two years didn't buy you any extra time. Um, I think that's fantastic. And that's a great note. Uh, Jared in the comments, he's coming up on a year next month. Uh, well, two months, August, but you know, I think that's a great way to to leave it at that. That's very powerful. Um, no matter the time that you have doesn't guarantee you anything. So Kim, thank you, man. Thank you. I man. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, dude, for for doing this. It was freaking awesome. We had some people listening and commenting. It's always fun. Um, Thank you so much. Please stay in contact. Uh, Jared says thank you so much. Um, So Jared was here the whole time listening live. Uh, I just started doing this live thing. So hopefully um, that'll grow too. But uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you the very best. And Let's catch up at year six. And, uh, you know, I, I like to do panels. I think you would be great for that. I like I like where you come from on these things. Um, so stay in touch. Take care of yourself. And, and thank you again for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. All right. You have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.